she was writing on Facebook. That makes absolutely no sense. Now listen to this. They said it was nonsensical. It absolutely is. To the shaper that almost hit me, that's not married. Hello, honey. I wish I was looking for someone, but no. I'm a one woman, I'm a one, one man woman kind of person. And Steve Riley on the other is the only man I ever wanted, she said in a post three days before she was charged with murder. But that doesn't even make any sense. Okay? And then she says, I'm a one man woman kind person. And Steve Riley, the only man I ever wanted three days before. Sounds like she knew something was about to happen to him. But let me continue. Now, Kanoa told investigators she plans to split Riley's astounding inheritance, which she estimated to be about $30 million. I said she planned to split it with his son, according to the state records. Now, she claimed that she was entitled to the fortune as his common law wife. This is what she said. North Dakota, however, does not recognize such relationships. Most states don't. Now, additionally, Riley had revealed plans to break off the romance shortly after receiving the massive sum, leading investigators to theorize that she poisoned him so she could secure this money. This is all crazy. Now, one of his children posted on Facebook, rest in peace, dad. I had a feeling it was her with how everything played out. But F, I wish we had made plans, each, uh, plans to see each other sooner. That's what his son wrote. Hope she gets what she deserves for taking you from this world. Kenora faces, um, she first faces felony murder charges, okay, the most severe murder charge in North Dakota, and she's been held without a bond at the Ward County Detention Center and is representing herself, according to court records. This is all so crazy. Now, the alleged killing is the latest in a string of domestic poisonings across the nation by scorned partners hoping to cash in on their victims' fortunes. Now, last week, a poison specialist and former doctor at the fake mail clinic was charged with poisoning his wife amid marital difficulties, allegedly trying to give her, her body, uh, trying to have her body cremated immediately while planning to cash in on a $500,000 life insurance policy. You all remember that story because I just reported this to you last week. I did a TikTok about it. But then there was a Utah mother, Corey Richens, uh, who is still awaiting trial for allegedly slipping her husband a deadly fentanyl-laced Moscow mule uh, the day before cashing in on a $2 million mansion that she hoped to flip uh, that he refused to pay for. This is all friends. This is what people are here doing. Let me put her face. Let me show you all this woman. Now, if I'm correct, didn't they say this woman, I don't know, how old did they say she was? This woman is 47 years old. You all got to see this because she literally looks 67. This woman looks like she's almost 70 years old. I'm not even joking. Please pay attention. God damn. That's her. Now, she's 47. <laughs> I beg to differ. She must have had a hard knock life. And this is the guy, uh, Stephen Edward Riley Jr., who inherited the money that unfortunately for him, he'll never get to spend a dime of. Oh. My fan page says, Alexa, play for the love of money by the OJs. You all need to sit down. This is all so sad and clearly nefarious. Alexa, off. Anyway, that's what's going on in North Dakota. Please pay attention. Okay? So, 
let's move it right along. Now listen to this. Well, I'm going to get into that later. I'm going to get to that later. Now let's talk about Sarah Boone. Sarah Boone is a woman who killed her boyfriend, uh, stuffed him into a suitcase, supposedly, and allowed him to suffocate. This is all so crazy. Now, I'm going to play the audio from um, her when she was in court days ago. Now, this is on the Law and Crime Network, and I don't have permission to use it. So I'm only going to play the audio, and I'm going to put an overlay up on the screen. But before I get into it, let's get some background on this case. Let's get some background on this case. Everyone, please get the likes up. Please like and share. Thank you in advance. Okay, so here's what they say. Now, she's accused of killing her boyfriend by zipping him up in a suitcase as he called out to her, okay? And she just didn't even bother to try to help him or whatever. 45-year-old Sarah Boone has since pleaded guilty, I'm sorry, not guilty to the charge of second-degree murder, okay? And she faces, uh, that she faces in the death of 42-year-old Jorge Torres Jr., now, an earlier status hearing in January saw a possible trial move from an expected January the 30th start date. Okay, Boone's attorney, Frank Bankowitz, says that he appeared virtually and said that he had recently contracted Super 19. Now, this time, Boone's defense has requested the Justice Administrative Commission pay for an expert that they plan to use uh, for Boone's battered spouse defense, because that's what she's saying. Now she said this man was abusive and alleging domestic violence, okay? as to why she did what she did. Now, Boone on February the 20th, this is what happened. Boone on February the 20th of 2020 called deputies to an apartment along France Road in Winter Park to report that Torres was dead, according to the affidavit. Now, she told investigators that she and Torres were drinking. They were drinking wine, painting, and assembling a puzzle uh, the night before, claiming that they had agreed that it would be funny if the two played hide and seek. I'm sorry, this sounds real crazy, but let me continue. Boone said the game ended with Torres zipped in a suitcase with her asleep upstairs. Boone located Torres dead the next day. I'm sorry, who? Do y'all hear this foolishness? So she says they were playing hide and seek two grown people, and he decided to hide in a suitcase. How did he zip himself in there? I have several questions, but let me continue. Now, Jeopardy said that she found that they found the victim's body lying near the suitcase and the front door of the residence. Boone signed off on papers, allowing investigators to search her phone. Now, one of the two videos uh, that were highlighted by the sheriff's office, recorded at 11, 12 p.m., allegedly showed the suitcase facing down in the living room, moving as Torres pushed around in an attempt to escape. Torres could reportedly be heard repeatedly calling out to Boone as she laughed and taunted him, according to deputies. They said, for everything you've done to me, you stupid, this is what she was saying to him. I can't, I can't breathe. He kept saying, seriously. Yeah, that's what you get. That's what you do when you choke me. She could be heard saying. In the other video recorded at 8.20 p.m., the suitcase was seen facing up in a different part of the living room. 
Boone drove herself to the sheriff's office on February the 25th of 2020 for a follow-up interview during which she said, uh, which she was shown the video that was mentioned. And she wished to not finish watching the video about halfway through, according to deputies. Now, she reportedly told investigators it looked bad, but she denied intentionally leaving Taurus in the suitcase. And when she was asked why she never checked on him or let him out prior to falling asleep, she said, I don't know. That's what she said. I don't know. Well, anyway, let me share my screen so you all can see this first report. Lights up, everyone, please like and share. This is all the fairies. Investigators say she zipped her boyfriend in a suitcase and then left him to die. And as New Six's Mark Lehman found, the couple had a long history of domestic violence. Court records show the couple involved in this have both been arrested on domestic violence charges. Investigators say the girlfriend just brought up that video. She recorded on her cell phone all of this while they say her boyfriend was zipped in that suitcase pleading for help. 42-year-old Sarah Boone taken away in handcuffs on Tuesday in a bizarre case that left her boyfriend dead. Deputies say Jorge Torres Jr. suffocated after being zipped in a suitcase and left for several hours. His body was found at an apartment along France Lane in Winter Park Monday afternoon. According to an arrest affidavit, Boone called 911, saying the two were drinking and playing a game of hide-and-seek Sunday night. That's when she said they both thought it would be funny if Torres got into a suitcase. Boone told investigators she passed out in her bed, forgetting about her boyfriend until the next morning. But detectives say they found videos on her cell phone that tell a much different story. They say in the clips, Jorge repeatedly kept calling out Sarah's name, screaming for help, and saying he can't breathe. According to the report, Boone replied, saying, that's what you do when you choke me. Investigators say she has also heard saying, that's on you. That's what I feel like when you cheat on me. Detectives say those videos were enough to place Boone under arrest, where she's now facing a charge of second-degree murder. And the arrest report also stated that Torres had a cut on his lip and bruising around his eye when his body was found. As for Boone, she remains locked up here in the Orange County Jail and is scheduled to appear before a judge sometime in the next hour. Reporting in Orange County, Mark Lehman, getting results, do sit. That's absolutely crazy, okay? And so... I don't know how she actually got him to get into that suitcase if she did, you know, say they're playing hide and seek. But I know one thing, even if he was, uh, they were having a domestic violence, you know, relationship or whatever. Okay, well, when he was locked up in, or zipped up in that suitcase, how come she didn't just pack her things and go and call 911 and tell them he was in there? That's one thing she could have done. Or why didn't she just get her things? unzip it and run out the door. I just have questions. At the end of the day, she maliciously did this and she's now doing what I call using stall tactics. She's complaining about her attorneys and she's sending letters to the judge, constantly trying to get in touch with the judge and complaining and all of this. And she's doing this, in my opinion, like I said, in an effort to stall. Okay, just to stall her case even longer. So anyway, I'm going to play the audio from her court appearance uh, that Law and Crime posted. And 
accused of suffocating her boyfriend to death by zipping him up in a suitcase. As her trial was delayed yet again, Sarah Boone appeared in a Florida courtroom Monday with her new attorney. Her previous attorney had enough of his client and asked the judge to remove him from the case. Judge, the letters that have been coming to your honor, uh, the derogatory berating of my services in this case, uh, I can't effectively represent her. Uh, I, she doesn't trust me. She calls me up. A dud, I think, a buffoon, uh, on and on and on and on. And no one should have to endure that type of uh, derogatory comments and expect to effectively represent someone, especially in a murder case. In a letter written behind bars to Judge Wayne Wooten, Boone expressed her frustrations about her previous attorney, Frank Bankowitz, writing, quote, so confused, so tired of the perpetual question marks over my head. It's funny how the only piece of correspondence via mail I've actually received from Bankowitz is his motion to withdraw as counsel. What is going on? I've tried to dilute some of the question marks, but need you, Judge Boone, to help me get it correct to begin my preparation. But Boone's then defense attorney fired back in a motion to withdraw as counsel. Bankowitz wrote, quote, due to irreconcilable differences, will be unable to effectively and properly continue representing Boone, adding the defendant will not be satisfied with any attorney unless said attorney does not have a caseload, continuing the best possible avenue is to have the defendant represent herself as no attorney can satisfy her. In September, the judge granted Bankowitz's motion to withdraw, appointing a public defender to take over her case. Ms. Boone, I read your letter dated August 26, 2023, and your letter dated August 30th, 2023. Just so we're clear, I read all. At Centerwell Senior Primary Care, our doctors take the extra time to listen because quality healthcare letters that you send to the court. Whether I respond or not is based on what's in the letter and whether I'm asked to actually do something that's within my purview as a judge or not. If I understand correctly, you have now decided that you think it would be best, in fact, if Mr. Bankowitz was allowed to withdraw. Is that correct? Yes. All right. And you understand by him withdrawing, off to appoint another attorney. Do you understand that? Yeah. And that attorney's not standing here, so we're not going to be able to address, but I'll give the state a chance to talk to me as well. But assuming I grant this, we won't be able to address the other issues that we're docketed for today, which means I'm going to have to reset your case for a later date. I'm going to grant Mr. Bankwitz's motion to withdraw. I'm going to appoint attorney Winston Hobson to represent Ms. Boone. Defense attorney turnover rate has been high for Boone was cycled through more than four different lawyers since her 2020 arrest. In 2022, another attorney withdrew from representing Boone in her case. Boone claimed to be in the dark about her then-attorney's withdrawal, writing in another letter to the judge. After making a commitment to me as an attorney over the past two years and two months ongoing, to fully and sufficiently represent me also made me to believe we were a team, she wrote. I am completely blindsided nonetheless now this was and is being handled by a professional. I don't understand. The frequent occurrence even prompted the judge overseeing her trial to issue a stern warning 
that the problem might not be the attorneys. But one thing I want to caution you about, if this becomes a problem on another court-appointed attorney, I'm going to look more closely at what the alleged disputes are. You have a right to a court-appointed lawyer. There are certain decisions a defendant gets to make in the defense of their case that are absolutely theirs, such as whether they go to trial or not, such as whether they testify or not. But there are many decisions in a case that a lawyer gets to make. And while you certainly have a right to consult with your lawyer and discuss with your lawyer, they don't automatically just do whatever you say. They use their professional judgment and experience and look at the evidence, look at the law, and do the best they can. Sarah Boone has been behind bars since her arrest in February of 2020, charged with the heinous death of her boyfriend, Jorge Torres. He was found lifeless inside a suitcase at the couple's apartment. The gruesome death was captured on video, taken by Boone herself, showing the chilling final moments of Torres's life as he cried to be freed from inside the suitcase. Okay, so that's absolutely egregious, as I told you. At the end of this day of the day, this woman is nefarious. And you can tell, like I said, that she's just using stall tactics. Now she's already gone through four attorneys and the judge has appointed her a public defender, but now she says she wants to defend herself. This woman doesn't need to defend herself. This is just another way of her playing around with the court with the court system. Okay, with the judicial system. She knows that she doesn't have the sense or wherewithal to defend herself. Lady, you're the one who made a whole video of what you did this thing, incriminating yourself. So how now are you going to play attorney for your own self? This is all so crazy. This is all so crazy. This woman has no sense as far as I'm concerned. None whatsoever, okay? Now, they also showed, showed the suitcase that he was found in. I'm going to show my screen and show you that in just a second. Let me cue this video. Okay, I'm going to share my screen. <coughs> Moments of Torres's life as he cried to be free from inside the suitcase. Oh. For everything you've done to me. Oh. For everything you've done to me. Oh. You. Oh. You. Oh. Stupid. Oh. my name. The word of. Yeah, that's when you do when you check me. Oh. Investigators. That is so darn sad. That is so sad. And she was literally sitting there laughing at this man. Wow. This is absolutely nefarious. Who, 
but do that to someone. And you know, here's the thing. The suitcase was turned over upside down, if you pay attention. Now, I wonder if he did get in there. I don't know how he fit into there, but if he did get in there himself, it looks like it's been rolled over upside down to further help him or prevent him from getting out. This is all crazy. She stood there laughing at that man. She thought this was funny, that he was struggling to breathe. This woman needs, I don't know why she's charged with second degree. Again, why do they get charged with these cold-blooded murderers who clearly plan out methodically what they're going to do to the victims? They keep charging them with second degree murder. How is this not premeditated? This is absolutely crazy as far as I'm concerned. This is absolutely crazy. Some people are just wicked. Okay? Just low down and dirty. Anyway, I need you all to tell me why some of the uh, black Hebrew Israelites were out there fighting the pro-Palestine protesters. I have several questions. I'm sorry, but we don't have anything to do with this. Why are they out there fighting these people? This is all crazy. Okay? Black Horse DC, you keep saying that you're blocked, beloved, saying that one of my moderators blocked you, but I clearly see you in the chat, so you're not blocked, okay? You're not blocked, honey. Uh, but anyway, I need to find out why these Hebrew Israelites were out there fighting in Chicago. Please pay attention, fighting the protesters for the pro-Palestine protesters, like I said. I'm going to share my screen and show this video. Now, I'm going to fast forward past some of the fighting uh, that's going on, okay? Like some, everyone, please like and share. Thank you in advance. Here we go.
Um, at the end of the day, both of those groups of people don't like people who look like us. Okay, get that through your head. All right, so anyway, with that all being said, okay, Lana said morons. I mean, they gotta be crazy. They gotta be crazy. Okay, at the end of the day. And, and here's the thing, have you all seen the black Palestinians? Uh, Terry Hicks says free Palestine. Well, yeah, free, but exactly. Everybody should be able to live free. I agree. But here's the thing. Have you all seen any of the videos made by the black Palestinians? How they say how they're treated so racist over there by the other Palestinians? Okay, that's why I'm telling you, we don't have anything to do with this. Okay, we don't have anything to do with it. The black Palestinians are being treated with racism by other Palestinians. But y'all want to sit here and fight? What? For what? For what? Miss Hotel said, yes, I've seen the queen. Exactly. I've seen several of them. Okay? I've seen several of them. So, at the end of the day, Capricorn said one video. You saw one video, okay? Aboriginal woman said, yeah, I'm good on both sides. Exactly. Because neither sides care anything about black folks. So, I'm not going to be sitting up here going in hard in the paint for people that don't even like my people. That's just idiotic. But some of y'all go right ahead. That's right. Swift said no dog in this fight. Exactly. I'm not going to fight for anybody who wouldn't fight for me. I'm not going to speak out for anybody who wants to speak up, speak up for me or my people at the end of the day. If my people are sitting here over in Palestine saying that they're being treated with racism by the people that they live amongst, and we already know how the other people feel about people who look like us, they've already liked us too much. So I'm supposed to be concerned why? end of the day, I feel sorry that these things are happening, uh, but at the end of the day, there's nothing I can do about it. And so anyway, let me continue. I have to cover stories that pertain to my folks. Okay? With that all being said. And other folks too, but my whole point is, I'm not going to be covering that. Because at the end of the day, uh, I don't have a dog in fight, as far as I'm concerned. Now, listen to this. This low-down teacher has been accused of putting her hands on, on students. Georgia Elementary School staff member accused of striking students for not charging their laptops. That's what one of the little children said. Said that she got upset because they didn't recharge their laptops. And so, therefore, she commenced to putting hands on them. One mother spoke out about it. She said that her daughter came home and told her what happened. So I'm going to play the video so you all can see this for yourselves. I find it also interesting. These teachers, a lot of them are getting really out of pocket. How many stories have I reported to you all the past two months about these teachers abusing students? Putting their hands on them, things like that, which they have absolutely no business doing. Okay? And so anyway, I'm going to share my screen so you all can see this report. Lights up, everyone, please like and share. When you and your family is injured in a car accident, it can be stressful getting justice and the compensation you deserve. Most of an elementary school has placed a staff member on administrative leave after she was accused of hitting several students. Hello, and thanks for watching today. I'm Christine Spiro. That alleged incident took place inside of a classroom at Dutchtown Elementary School in Henry County. Fox News' Eric Perry sat down with one of the students and their mother. Eric is live for us with the latest. Yeah, Christine, good afternoon to you. We are not identifying that staff member as of yet because there are no official charges that have been filed. The mom of this daughter says she's not just furious, but she's hurt because of the incident with the fourth graders and told it all started over computer laptops. 
That call came in just before two Wednesday afternoon from the principal at Dutchtown Elementary School, saying that her daughter Nevaeh was involved in an incident with other students and a staff member. Can I get more information? Um, is she okay? Um, is she harmed? Is she hurt? Can you give me any more information other than that? And so the only information he said that Nevaeh was okay and that uh, it was not a sexual altercation. Walker says she rushed to the school and when her daughter got in the car, she knew the situation was more serious. So mom, my back is hurting, it's stinging, it's burning. And I said, okay, I said, let me look at your back. And when I pulled her shirt up and looked at her back, she had ropes on her back, on her lower back. And it looked like somebody had hit her. Listen closely as this fourth grader talks quietly. She explains that the staff member got upset with students over laptops not being charged. This mom and other parents involved say they want answers. That's abuse. Um, that's um, assault. That's battery. Like my daughter abuse at school by a teacher. Yeah, this parent wants the teacher to not only be fired, she's also calling for charges as well. We have reached out to the school system. A spokesperson sent us a statement saying they are investigating this incident they call as inappropriate contact between a staff member and students there. We do know that the staff member has been placed on administrative leave during this investigation. In Henry County, I'm here. That's absolutely nefarious. Okay, now they said she lined those students up and put her hands on each one of them because she was upset. This has to stop. And this is absolutely why I recommend after breaking into her house twice in one day. I'm going to share my screen so you all can see the victim and the devil that supposedly did it. Now that's her right there. So they say Ty Tyron Lambert and Jasmine Lambert. Okay, that's her name, Jasmine Lambert. They say that Ty Tyron is the one who took her life. Okay, so they go on to say that Tyron Victor Lambert, age 42, stands accused of one count each of murder, family violence, malice murder, home invasion, burglary, criminal damage to property, obstruction, and criminal trespass as well as two counts each of cruelty to children, aggravated assault, and possession of a firearm in the commission of a crime. And this is all according to a press release from the Paulding County Sheriff's Office. Now they said Jasmine Lambert, 37 years old, was the mother of two. She taught third grade at Steele Elementary School in Powder Springs in a small town in Cobb County and part of the broader Atlanta metropolitan area. They say deputies were first called to the residence on Topaz Drive in Dallas, Dallas, Georgia, uh, just after midnight on Saturday, a visitor dialed 911 to report that there was a domestic disturbance uh, caused by a home invasion. Tyron Lambert had forced his way through the back door of the house, and he was armed, according to the sheriff's office. Uh, during the course of the unwelcome visit, a domestic dispute ensued, and Tyron Lambert pointed a gun and threatened multiple individuals that were inside of the home. Now, after that, apparently leaving that law enforcement, or apparently learning that law enforcement was on the way, the defendant fled the scene. The law enforcement followed up with more than mere for, uh, formalities, extending their efforts to specifically protect the victim's house. They say called in deputies, 
made a report, began the process to seek warrants for his arrest, placed the residents on zone patrol, and placed them be on the lookout, otherwise known as a BOMO, out via dispatch for Tyron Lambert and his vehicle. Now, but the heightened watch wasn't enough. They said 7.12 a.m. on the morning of October 27th, a second 911 call came in. This time, the caller indicated that Tyron Lambert was back at the residence and that he had forced entry to the residence through the back door uh, that he had entered through in the previous incident and that he was armed with a gun again. Now, law enforcement then rushed over to the residence, according to the sheriff's office, but sadly, it was too late. Responding deputies heard a single gunshot once they were nearby, but before they entered the home. Tyron Lambert fled out the rear door on foot and was quickly chased down, according to the sheriff's office. He was then arrested afterwards uh, after what law enforcement described as a brief struggle. Jasmine Lambert was rushed to the hospital at Wellstar Paulding, uh, where she succumbed to her injuries. And they say it was with great sadness that we share the passing of one of our third grade teachers. Uh, this is what Pop County School spokesperson uh, they said in the statement. Now, Jasmine Lambert's big smile was welcoming to all of her classroom. Couldn't wait to see her every day. Our hearts go out to her family, friends, and entire Steel community who already miss her. Grief counselors are at the school this week to support students and staff, and we do ask you to give our school family privacy during this difficult time. Now, Saturday's events were not the first domestic disturbance between the estranged husband and his wife. All the county sheriff's office say that uh, the spokesperson, Ashley Henson, said that the defendant had a protective order taken out against him uh, by by her school. She had taken this domestic or this protective order out against him as of last year. Uh, Tyron Lambert is currently being detained in the Paulding County Jail without bond. The investigation is still ongoing and the defendant could face additional charges, according to authorities. All very sad. A lot of domestic violence cases turning up, if you all haven't noticed. A lot of domestic violence cases. Now, here's another story. They say Dennis Shepard was sentenced for the murder of his girlfriend, Jaira Holmes. So let me share their pictures on the screen. And then we'll get to the nefarious details of this all. Sad that all of these men are killing these women. I just want you all, so please pay attention. There they go right there. Dennis Shepard and Jaira Holmes. And so here's what they say happened. A man in Louisiana has been sentenced to life in prison for using a plastic zip to strangle his girlfriend uh, during a domestic dispute in front of witnesses in the parking lot of their apartment or her apartment complex. <coughs> Dennis Shepard, age 60, was sentenced on Monday for the murder of his girlfriend, Jara Holmes, who was 39 years old. Now, during the sentencing hearing, the victim's twin sister tore into, tore into Shepard, saying, I hope the only mercy you get for the rest of your life is the mercy you showed my sister. Judge June Barry Derringsburg ripped Shepard and dismissed his defense's request for a new trial and post-verdict judgment of acquittal. And she had a full right ahead of her. She was very young, the judge said. To take someone's life, I would have to agree with the impact testimony that it was an evil act. Prosecutors say Shepard strangled Holmes outside her apartment in the 1500 block of West Chelsea Road in Harvey on November the 2nd 
I'm 2020. Authorities say witnesses saw him do it and heard him say afterwards, she wanted me back. She's dead. Now, deputies arrived to find her unresponsive on the ground and declare her dead at the scene. Shepard fled and was arrested three days later at a Motel 6 in Mississippi by a U.S. Marshal Service Fugitive Task Force. I'm wondering who were the witnesses that saw this man strangling this woman and why they didn't do anything. Did they call 911 immediately or did they wait until after she was unconscious or dead already? I just have several questions. No one tried to intervene. No one let him know that they were seeing him like screaming, yelling, or anything like that. I just wonder how this all went down. Because we do have a lot of black men who say they're not going to get involved unless they know the person. So please pay attention. Now, a Jefferson Parish jury convicted him of second-degree murder on September the 28th after deliberating for only 36 minutes. Okay, ending his three-day trial. And his mandatory punishment was a life in prison. Uh, his life in prison with no probation, parole, or a suspension of sentence in uh, Louisiana. Shepard denied committing second-degree murder, uh, according to his defense, uh, defense attorney, asserting that he was guilty of manslaughter, a lesser homicide committed in the heat of passion that carries a maximum of 40 years in prison. He can sit down somewhere, okay? He can sit down somewhere. This was not a crime of passion. This was not a crime of passion. At the end of the day, he had been putting hands on this woman. And, and, and here's the thing. A crime of passion, well, that's usually when you catch someone, you know, uh, in an appropriate situation with someone else, and you, out of anger and jealousy, just grab the handle and do something crazy. Well, that doesn't seem to be the case. They were in a parking lot of her complex. Okay, she was there alone with him. So, a crime of passion where? Like, they need to sit down somewhere. I hope he gets life in prison. That's clearly what he deserves. That's what he's facing, and I hope that's exactly what he gets. Yes, it is sad, very sad. All these black women just losing their lives in these domestic violence situations is very troubling. Now, with that all being said, let's talk about a woman who was 22 years old, a mother, and her body was found in a barge in Memphis. Now, I find this all interesting because wasn't there just a young woman whose body turned up missing from the riverboat in Memphis? And then they found her days later in the water. I don't know if they have anything to do with each other, but I find it all very interesting. Now, let me pull up this video. This is the video from before they found out who this person was. This is when they were still trying to identify the woman's body. And then I'll go to the aftermath. Searching for an identity tonight, the Shelby County Sheriff's Office needs help identifying a woman in a bizarre case after her body was discovered on a barge this weekend. Good evening and thank you for joining us. I'm Stephanie Spurlock. And I'm Greg Hurts. WRG Shea Arthur has the latest on what we know. Tonight, investigators here in Memphis working to find out how old's body ended up on a barge. Their investigation taking them upstream. The search for answers also leading deputies here to Shelby Forest State Park, where that old body was initially discovered on that barge. This is a highly unusual investigation for us at the sheriff's office. Investigators with the Shelby County Sheriff's Office say employees on the barge made the discovery Saturday morning around 7:15 during a routine inspection. 
The barge was headed north, left Memphis Friday night shortly after 11. So it's safe to say your office right now has no idea how she got on that barge? No, we have absolutely no clue. Our detectives have been working around the clock since Saturday morning, trying to piece together all of the information and evidence that they can find to hopefully unpack a story on how she ended up on the barge. Detectives doing what they can to uncover clues. Is there a possibility there might have been cameras uh, on the boat or on that barge there, or perhaps cameras in the downtown area to capture anything? So far to me, there's been no reports of uh, cameras on board the vessel, but certainly we'll be checking with uh, you know, TDOT to see if there may be some video footage that we could recover that could you know, maybe offer some type of clue as to how she ended up on the barge. Investigators say the woman had no apparent wounds to indicate someone purposely tried to hurt her, ultimately leading to her death. She had blonde hair, was wearing a pink shirt with Oxford written on it, a knee brace on her left leg, and is somewhere between 20 and 40 years old. A critical piece of this information is, number one, finding out who she is. Shea Arthur, WREG. I find it also interesting, at the end of the day, uh, but here's the follow-up story. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Amadai Shakur. The body of a woman that was found in a barge in Memphis turns out to be 22-year-old mother, Haley Silas from Oklahoma. Her family nor the authorities don't know why she was in Memphis, and they also don't know how she died. Let's get into it. Haley's body was found near Shelby Forest. Police say that Haley called them several times from a gas station. Now, once they arrived there, according to a report that was filed on October the 15th, it says that Haley told them she was having a panic attack and that she wanted to be taken to a psych ward and able to call her parents. And they instead placed her in handcuffs and took her to the station. Please pay attention. Uh, I can go. It's not even love the plus yet. for tomorrow. I gotta be there at one and then on Friday I go and see my doctor. So it, it works out. According to records, there was a psychic out there, but there's no evidence of what it said or what type of conclusion they even came to. Also documents show yeah, that a PT PET scan, CT scan. And she was sentenced to time served. Three days later, Haley was dead. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, yeah, we can watch it. I got to send you a picture of both of these uh, dogs in the same bed. Yeah. Uh, I think so. Thank <laughs> you. 
That's the only interaction you knew. I knew Mary, but I ain't know I knew nothing about him. Yeah. I ain't know I'm doing all this about him. Actually, 
had something to do with it on purpose or inadvertently because the woman that they were looking for, Sapphire or uh, Saria Michelle, that's the woman that they say that Mary and Yona were in a relationship with. So Mary clearly has something to do with it one way or another. Now for her to say that her brother, Lopez, because I believe that's her brother, they're related in some way because they have the same last name, they're oceans. So she's gone, Mary, and they're trying to say that she's gone because she's afraid of the woman across the street. I don't think that's why she's gone. I think that both her and Lopez are on the run somewhere. I think they're both on the run somewhere. She started that lie about Lopez being deceased. Okay, because there's no foundation for her to have said that. There's no basis for that claim. She clearly said that, in my opinion, because they're going on the run. And so nobody would be looking for him. Okay? Please make it all make sense. It's all so crazy. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I hope that they get justice for this young woman. This is very sad. But the police need to do a more accurate and thorough job next time instead of just automatically saying something. It's one thing without having conducted any type of investigation, gathering any type of evidence or any of those things. It doesn't make any sense. But so anyway, here's your lifeline. Because they say the housing market is headed back to the 1980s style recession. This is what Wells Fargo says. And they say it's all because of higher for longer mortgage rates. So let's get into it. Now, despite countless recession calls from economists, analysts, and other experts this year and last, the U.S. economy as a whole has shown remarkable resiliency. The housing market, on the other hand, is a different story. Mortgage rates hovering over 8% coupled with home prices that rose substantially during the pandemic have deteriorated housing affordability in the U.S. and frozen activity in some cases. And I want you to pay attention because remember how I told you that J.P. Morgan has purchased over 2,500 properties here in Atlanta as of late. So people are losing their homes, and these big corporations and banks are purchasing them. Uh, pretty soon they'll own all of the property, and you know, because that's what they want to do. Please pay attention. Now I'm going to share my screen so you all can see this record. Lights up, everyone. Please don't forget to like and share. Thank you in advance. Speaking about this just a few days ago and looking across the backlogs that many of the home builders still have that they're working through and where some of those new orders are continuing to flow in, even if it is decelerating. One of the things that we are continuing to monitor as well is where, where potentially there needs to be more decline. And, and I'd love to know from your purview where the prices need to decline further for a lot of home buyers and prospective home buyers out there to feel like they can effectively offset where rates may be at right now? Uh, well, I think prices are unlikely to decline meaningfully precisely because of the, the supply shortage. I would distinguish a little bit between the single family market and the multifamily market. On the single family side, by most estimates, we have a shortage of many millions of homes because we've made it somewhat difficult to build in many places that people want to live in this country uh, with zoning restrictions and things like that. The multifamily supply response to high prices, though, over the couple of, last couple of years has been much more forceful. And indeed, we've seen uh, a lot of completion of multifamily units, and we have a huge number of multifamily units that are still in the pipeline that builders want to, want to finish up. So we have made more of a supply impact on the rental market, and that has helped to slow growth uh, of rents. 
but it's just very difficult in a short period of time to have an equally appreciable impact on the single family market. And in fact, we've seen the homeowner vacancy rate fall uh, even a little bit further to now a historic low. So primarily for that reason, you're, you're absolutely right that affordability has diminished substantially. First prices rose a lot, then mortgage rates rose a lot. It costs an awful lot more to finance owner-occupied housing. Uh, I think the demand is still there for, you know, for the market to clear at prices similar to where we are. So we're looking for a small dip in prices in reaction to the big move in rates that we've seen this year, but then a small uptick next year. So uh, no major changes from here. Yeah, okay, so there you have it. Also, they're talking about how the, the CEO, uh, the Ford CEO, has issued a warning for workers following the conclusion of some historic auto strikes. So after more than six weeks of expanding strikes, financial losses and mounting pressure, the United Auto Workers Union has concluded its historic series of rolling strikes against the Detroit Three. Shortly after announcing massive escalations last week, a Ford inked a tentative agreement with the union October the 25th. Three days after Ford folded, a Stellantis agreed to tentative terms as well. Now, after a strike expansion on October the 28th, General Motors, according to sources familiar with the matter, uh, they said, I'm sorry, hold on. I have these pop-ups. Okay, so they say both the union and the automaker have yet to officially announce the agreement and subsequent stop uh, stoppage of the strike. Now, the deal with Ford grants auto workers 25% raises over the course of the contract, starting with an 11% raise and a $5,000 bonus immediately upon ratifying the contract. Now, the deal additionally includes cost of living adjustments, enhanced profit sharing, better retirement contributions, and around $8.1 billion in new plant investments. And so, with that all being said, this economy is just all objective as far as I'm concerned. But hold on. They also go on to say, that Anderson Economic Group estimated that after five weeks of strikes, the action and constant expansion caused the injury to lose a total of more than $9 billion, the bulk of which came in losses for the automakers. The strike initially impacted suppliers and the supply chain economy and resulted in hundreds of millions of loss in wages. Once again, they say we have achieved just weeks ago of what we were told we have achieved what just weeks ago we were told was impossible. This is what Union President Sean Fain said in the statement. At Solantis in particular, we have not only secured a record contract, uh, we have begun to, tune, uh, to turn the tide in the war on the American working class. And so there absolutely is a war on America's working class at the end of the day, if you all haven't been paying attention. A lot of the stuff they're doing, it's all by design. If you remember, I told you about two years ago how these big corporations want to own all the land and real estate. They want to take it from uh, the citizens and so that everything is owned by the government and by them. And so basically, they can just dictate how everybody lives and what you get to do, what you can't do, and all of that. Okay? Please pay attention. That's what it all sounds like as far as I'm concerned. But what do you all think? What do you all think? 
But of course, Disney said we survived three ice ages. We're going to survive this also. But of course, Disney, you were in the ice age. Please sit down somewhere. Please sit down somewhere. Now listen to this. Judge temporarily blocks federal officials from removing razor wires set up by Texas to deter border crossings. And so they say a judge on Monday, a federal judge, temporarily barred the Biden, so, uh, the Biden administration and Border Patrol agents from removing the razor wire that Texas state officials have set up to hinder the entry of migrants along the border with Mexico, with limited exceptions, such as medical emergencies. So other than that, they're not allowed to move it uh, to help these migrants to get in. Now, Chief U.S. District Court Judge Aliyah Moses blocked federal officials from removing, scrapping, disassembling, or encumbering um, a concertina wire that Texas state authorities assembled near the border town of Eagle Pass to impede the passage of migrants entering the country illegally. Moses said federal officials could only remove the wire if, uh, or only and if, to provide or obtain emergency medical aid. Now, the order is an early victory for Republican Governor Greg Abbott and with other Texas officials in their latest lawsuit against the Biden administration, which has found itself defending most of its major immigration policies from lawsuits filed by officials in Lone Star State and other GOP-led uh, GOP states. The ruling, however, will not be the final say on the matter. Uh, so there's more to come. Now, let me just post this, uh, this update on this. And then I'm out of here. Like up, everyone. Please don't forget to like and share. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is clearly the wrong video. Okay, here we go. And from cutting or removing razor wire the state had installed along the border. The order comes after Texas sued the Biden administration over the wire's removal in Eagle Pass, where many migrants crossed the border straining resources. Texas Governor Greg Abbott celebrated the ruling on social media, stating another win for Texas and our historic border mission. The temporary order expires November 13th and mentions only razor wire installed in Eagle Pass. Texas National Guard members have also installed wire barriers at other high traffic sections, including Brownsville and El Paso. The order also allows for the barrier to be cut to provide emergency medical aid for migrants. The barriers are part of Texas's Operation Lone Star. In the fiscal year 2023, Texas Border Patrol agents encountered over 1.2 million migrants entering the state illegally. The state argues that the federal government's actions, specifically the removal of razor wire along the border, weaken the state's border security efforts. In a statement, Attorney General Ken Paxton said, quote, the federal government's outrageous escalation in response to our lawsuit demonstrates Biden's disturbing contempt for the state of Texas, for the citizens of the United States, and for our country's entire foundation of the rule of law, end quote. The lawsuit emphasizes a significant concern. Despite ongoing security measures, thousands of migrants have succeeded in entering the country illegally in the Eagle Pass region. This legal action underscores the state's position that the removal of razor wire is counterproductive to their efforts to control unauthorized border crossings. A Department of Homeland Security spokesperson confirmed that they will comply with the order. So... They say they will comply with the order. So, you know, like I said, they have sued the Biden administration. They filed numerous lawsuits and people are upset about their immigration policies. And at the end of the day, it is counterproductive if they remove the razor wire. But also that just sounds a bit much as far as I'm concerned. 
sounds very egregious. Okay, there's kids coming across those borders as well. And so the razor wire, in my opinion, is just dangerous. But, you know, uh, that's what Governor Greg Abbott wants to do, and that's clearly what he's going to do. All right, so with that all being said, I'm going to conclude this broadcast. I want to thank you all for tuning in, okay? Um, I think Eileen said it's her birthday. Happy birthday, Eileen, beloved. Okay, I hope you enjoy your day. Uh, Miss Hotel says the lack thereof administration ain't going to do nothing but carry on. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Swift said cartels, right? Okay. Uh, Claudette said Biden's administration sucks. Well, I absolutely agree, and I hope that they're no longer in charge in 2024. Please pay attention. Okay. Uh, so with that all being said, uh, that crazy bitch Eric said they don't care if they let them in. Yeah, I believe they absolutely are. Uh, you're welcome, Eileen, beloved. Okay. Chris can say great work when you've done it again. Thank you, beloved. I appreciate you. All right. Then Crazy Beach Air said, we love you, Queen. And I love you all right, Black. And so with that all being said, everyone enjoy the rest of your day. I will be uploading something on the spiritual channel uh, for you guys in a little bit. But also, everyone, please be sure to like and share this video. You all know that. <laughs> channel, man. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Be sure to click the notification bell click for it all. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Underscore Asia Core and on TikTok at Dr. Asia Core and Twitter at BeGoddess27. Until next time, beloveds, each one teach one. That's how we grow and thrive. Do something productive, constructive, but never destructive. And always remember to keep the most high first in your lives.
my circle, you touch one of mine, you're done. They show no love for the queen, why you hating on me? Is it cause I'm free and I got Malcolm X in my jeans? I got dreams like King Luther, shed blood like Kusa. You ain't helping my people, I ain't got nothing to say to ya. I won't go smoke like hookah. Talking reparations, America won't be great until they give us compensation. I'm like, uh. I'm the hottest right now. See a bunch of lames out here trying to jock on my style. They be doing too much. I'm the queen, it's too easy. It's like they all in Popeyes, how they be talking so greasy. I just sit back and laugh while these haters get mad. So hilarious how they don't roll my pockets with chatter. I tell them they can do better. These snakes in the grass can leave a bite on your ass. But y'all be trusting too fast. I got my foot on the gas. Other one on their necks. Dropping receipts on haters. You better show some respect. I'm never facing regrets. We only facing the threats. Running through every challenge like a relay with no sweat. It's a cold game, so I got that blanket with me. Now that my people are waking, ain't no going to sleep. I do not play by my peace. This time I'm playing for peace. You talking sleep, but when I see you like them ends, we gon' meet. And now that gold all in my skin. God all in my blood. Kings all in my circle. You touch what a man who's done. They show no love for the queen. Why they hate no me? Is it cause I'm free and I got Malcolm X in my jeans and I got gold all in my skin? God all in my blood. Kings all in my circle. You touch one of my who's done. They show no love for the queen. Why they hating on me? Is it cause I'm free and I got Malcolm X in my jeans and I got... Family, some dot here. Yeah, the prepper. Let's see what we're talking about. I'm not saying he's always filled with doom and gloom, but he does have a certain type of intake on situations. There are some significant events that are taking place around the United States of America and around the world. 
in our infrastructure in the USA, the electrical and water systems. U.S. government officials are saying that it is up to the entities that provide these services to the American people to harden them against coming attacks that they expect to see not just in the remaining part of this year, but well into the year 2024 and beyond. One of their heightened alerts is for the beginning, the first quarter of the year 2024. And you have to remember, we're just about 60 days away from that. So if you have a warning as an individual, a family man, a family woman, that you have 60 days to get a little bit more prepared, I suggest highly that you heed this kind of warning. You do whatever kind of discernment you feel is necessary. Turn the cards over, roll the dice, say a prayer, whatever you think it's going to take to be able to get a little bit of your water and your electrical needs under your own control, at least for a couple of days at a time. That means having a tub or a series of buckets, large buckets. Now, 30-gallon totes are like a dollar a gallon online right now, so $30 for a 30-gallon tote. That's 30 gallons of water. If it's just you and you're only drinking it, that gives you 30 days on average worth of water. Now, you also have to wipe your behind and you have to wash your hands and do a whole bunch of other things. And if you contaminate that while wiping your behind or washing your hands, you better have a great way, a foolproof way to filter it. One of those is a Sawyer mini water filter. It's only about $20, $23 on Amazon or at Walmart. It's going to filter out about 100,000 gallons worth of water. So we have the FBI working in the Middle East right now. Why? Because we have an American citizen problem across the world. We have the FBI warning in the United States of America right now that they expect copy, uh, copycat events to take place. We have these warnings from the CIA and other operations showing us that they expect an infrastructural attack in the USA. And let me tell you, if there's one thing that we are not prepared for, it's for the lights to go out and not to come back on. Now you see how important the response is when the linemen after a hurricane, after a natural disaster like a wildfire or something like that, guys, they run out there quick. They send massive amounts of linemen and line women over. If you call them line women, I'm not even sure. They send them out quickly from other states to repair those lines because the government knows to continue to hold power and hold control on 100, 200, 300 million U.S. citizens they better keep the lights on and they better keep the services and food flowing. It's bread and circus, just like the Roman days, and they understand that. And so when we look at the environment and we look at the events, we have to know that we need to reduce our dependence on water, on infrastructure. That means having a backup to gather information. It's a shortwave radio. Five, ten, fifteen dollars can get you one online. They're junky, they're pieces of garbage. You'll be able to gather information, not just from American government sources, but from other sources across the world. You can throw an antenna high up into the uh, up into the trees. Remember, receiving, you don't have to have a certain antenna length. You don't have to do anything with the, uh, you know, understanding the maths there. You just throw an antenna off and you get what you can get. They have these wire ones. You just whap it up into a tree and then you're able to listen. So you're going to want to gather information in the next couple of weeks. These things are very inexpensive. They're every man things to do. A tote, a water filter, and a shortwave radio. I highly suggest you get on it. Egypt's prime minister has said that the country is ready to sacrifice its citizens to retain control in the Middle East. Now, they are threatening right now that 
if this does blow up, because we have to be pretty cryptic about what's going on because we see the sensitivity of the environment. This is not like COVID. This is not like Russia. This is a whole monster, a whole beast in and of itself. And so we have some sensitivities here, not just with uh, you know different platforms, not just with different organizations. We have some social sensitivities here that are really getting blown out of proportion. I have seen with my own eyes this affect people in my area. I don't live in a predominantly one-way religious or another area. I live in a very mixed area, a very mixed religion, very mixed group of people of different backgrounds, different futures, and they are all on edge. Let me tell you, not too far away, we just had an event take place in the middle of the night. These two guys who were just up on their, you know, their gangster stuff decided they wanted to blow out some holes in each other. They did it and hurt these people. The rest of the people were there to party, there to have fun. And so we have these types of things happening all across the country, not just in Florida, not just in Texas, not just California, not just Washington. A couple of days ago in Colorado, we had them in New York. We have military bases going on lockdown. We have MacDill Air Force Base, CENTCOM. We have all of these other organizations of the U.S. military saying we had better have our stuff together. Why? Why are they all looking out for the future, but you're not being told to? Let me tell you why. It's because you are a better follower when you are forced to follow the person in front of you. Look, look at the slaughterhouses with the cows. They don't tell the cows what might happen. They don't just start butchering the cows in line. They put them nose to behind and then walk nose to tail all the way into that slaughterhouse. And they condition them to know that most of the time, until that last time comes, you can walk nose to tail you get there, you're going to get a nice little treat. You get to scrunch on some uh, some nice snacks. You get a little reward for being a good slave, for being a good uh, you know follower, task follower. This is no different than the conditioning that they have given to the people of our world. You're supposed to walk nose to behind, not look over here, not see the bad that's happening over there. All the while, the real operators of our world, the people in the military, the people in government, the people in uh, law enforcement, the people in uh, independent contracting, security contracting services, they know how bad things are. They actually have their eyes peeled and they see that we are getting taken out one by one, two by two, all across the uh, field. Why is it that you're not allowed to know that? They won't tell you on media. They bog it down on social media. They do all these things to keep you from understanding just how bad things really are. If you knew, you would run. And I don't mean run like scared little cats. I mean run like the cows would turn their tail, kick their feet, and bow down anything that comes in their way to get away. That's the state of our environment. So we have Egypt saying that the entire country is ready to uh, enter into a sacrificial zone. The U.S. Amphibious Ready Group, consisting of the Bataan LHD-5, the USS Carter Hall LSD-50, as well as thousands and thousands of Marines with the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit, are on orders to be deployed in deployment to the Middle East. So we have the FBI working over there. We have the CIA working over there. 
I'm looking up literally as I'm talking to you and I see an Air Force plane flying overhead. We have all these things happening. I've had people on the channel comment over and over again, they're seeing increased frequency of military flyovers. They're seeing an increased police presence when they go outside. They're watching people more on edge in the uh, local environment to themselves, their area of operation. We have all these things happening. It's time that we start waking up. Very strong statements that came out against the USA from the Chinese Defense Ministry spokesperson. This is a quote, we talked a little bit about this uh, yesterday. In the 240 plus years of US history, there were only 16 years when the USA was not at war with another country. Yep, that's right. Only 16 years, now give or take a couple of years and what could be some mudded up, uh, you know, uh, uh, date periods. But the majority of the continuity of the United States government, our military power and holding the USD as the reserve currency of the world has taken place under military might. These days, according to our enemies, are at an end. They're not just at an end, they're all the way over with. We say that uh, in the Chinese system, they say that facts are proven. The U.S. is a fundamental source of chaos, a mastermind behind the scenes of global turbulence, the world's largest destroyer of regional peace and stability. This sounds like an Avengers movie, doesn't it? Who are they talking about here? Is this Thanos or is this the United States of America? World destroyer. Uh, you know, Condemner, uh, you know, uh, biggest destroyer, largest destroyer of regional peace, destroyer of stability. They say that China must increase its nuclear capabilities to a new minimum to keep up with national security and be prepared to act against the USA. So we see a multi-front attack, a multi-fronted attack. Now, you need to think about force multipliers. That means anything that makes you as one into US two, three, four, five, whatever. You get cameras outside, let's say you get four cameras. You just multiplied yourself four different times because you can watch one screen, I guess three different times, right? You can watch one screen and you can watch four different parts of your environment. A force multiplier. Somebody asked the other day, Brad, is mace or pepper spray a good self-defense tool? And I said, yes, when used correctly, under the right terms, under the right environment, against the right people, it is because it's a force multiplier. That one thing can affect multiple people, whereas your hand can only affect a certain number of people in that same time period. Now, it comes with its own caveats and its own downfalls, because if you use it and you get sprayed and you're not used to it, who's going out? Who's going down? It's going to be you and the baddie. So you better get some foam or some gel, something that has a little bit more directionality, a little bit less uh, wind susceptibility, and you better get out there and practice it. So many people that we have talked to have foam and have gel, and they are afraid to test it because they say, well, I'm not, in, I'm not scared right now. I'm not in danger. What if I get sprayed? You're not going to know how to do it, and you're going to think you're turning it against you, and you're actually turning it uh, you know, towards you, and boom, you're out. You're out of the fight. And then what's going to happen to your family, your wife, your kids, your dog, your cat, whoever you're taking care of, your little fishy, your samurai uh, fighting fish in the fishbowl. You have to be ready. You have to be prepared. Guys, yesterday we had a lot of people ask us, Brad, about that uh, camp pillow that I showed for the bug out vehicle here. This is it all blown up. It's a memory foam camp pillow. It is, in my opinion, 
Ugh. One of the best out there because it has those little bits of foam inside of it. It really conforms to, uh, you know, to my uh, bald noggin. It has a water resistant uh, thing on it. I can put a pillowcase on it. If you like, if you're, if you're a silky kind of gal, and you like putting a little bit of silk on it, you put a little silk pillowcase on there that you can sew yourself. Uh, you know, if you're a, a chunker, you can put a little snacks in there and, uh, you know, get ready for that bedtime snack or just reach in there and get a little snack. It is, for me, a necessity because I, I can live without it, but it's going to make my everyday life a little bit better. It's not going to take up too much space. I can still crunch it back down and put it in a, uh, you know, a vacuum sack or a water sack and I can make it last a long time. Let me know what you're doing, what you're out there prepping with, your works in progress. Let us all know what they are and what you think other people should be working on. From my family to yours, please stay safe and keep watch. Tonight, the deadly airstrike at a refugee camp in Gaza as Israeli troops escalate their offensive on the ground. The massive destruction at Gaza's largest refugee camp, apartment buildings leveled, dozens killed, according to hospital officials. Israel saying the strike killed a senior Hamas commander. The military pushing farther into Gaza, hitting more than 300 targets in 24 hours. Uh, Richard Angle standing by. Also, the stark warning the FBI chief telling Congress the Hamas attacks could inspire the biggest terror threat to the U.S. since ISIS. At another hearing, anti-war protesters, their hands painted red, removed by police amid threats to Jewish students at Cornell, suspect now in custody. The search and arrest warrants just unsealed for the gunmen in the main mass shooting. The new details we're learning. The record-breaking cold this Halloween across the country. Earths of false snow, the danger on the roads, we're tracking it. Newly revealed body cam from the deadly Maui wildfire, what it shows. The dramatic rescue after a plane crashes into the Everglades. And our NBC News exclusive, the creators of Friends, speaking out. The last conversation one of them had with Matthew Perry before his tragic death. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Good evening and welcome. Israel's push into the heart of embattled northern Gaza is not coming without a deadly cost, and the images of suffering are no easier to take tonight. A Hamas-run hospital says dozens are dead and hundreds injured in an Israeli airstrike on a Palestinian refugee camp, though NBC News cannot independently confirm those numbers. Israel not denying its forces hit the camp, calling it a known Hamas stronghold and saying its strike killed the top Hamas commander involving planning the October 7th terror attacks on Israel. Fierce battles are underway in northern Gaza tonight, Israel rejecting calls for a ceasefire. Determined to crush Hamas over the surprise attack that left 1,400 Israelis and foreigners dead and others taken hostage. Richard Engel remains at the Israel-Gaza border and leads our coverage tonight. Israel devastated part of a refugee camp on the edge of Gaza City, carrying out what it called a large-scale strike in one of the most densely populated areas in the world. A nearby Hamas-run hospital tonight said dozens were killed and hundreds injured. NBC News cannot independently confirm those figures. The camp is full of apartment buildings, and people can be seen carrying away wounded and dead and digging through rubble. 
Israel said it was targeting one of the leaders of Hamas's October 7th massacre of 1,400 Israelis, and that its strike collapsed a subterranean structure. Israel blamed Hamas for the civilian deaths, saying Hamas uses civilians as human shields. Perhaps the only thing not in dispute in this war is that civilians in Gaza are suffering and that the hospitals needed to care for the growing number of injured are barely functioning. This has been a, a massacre that's been unfolding and now we're getting to the final chapter of this massacre where even the wounded will not be spared. The world needs to intervene now. UNICEF today calling Gaza a graveyard for thousands of children. Israel has rejected a ceasefire, saying it would be a surrender to Hamas. Everything we're seeing here in southern Israel indicates that this ground offensive is still ramping up with more and more troops heading into Gaza. Israel says it struck 300 Hamas targets today and that it's hunting Hamas commanders. It claims this strike killed an architect of the mass murder of Israelis in two kibbutzes near Gaza. As Israel increased its estimate once again of the hostages held in Gaza, now to 240. One is back with her family, Private Ori Megidish, rescued by Israeli troops. While Natalie Ranan, an American teenager taken hostage by Hamas, is also back home in the Chicago area. She was freed 11 days ago. Richard, as you know, there's a lot in play here tonight. Another Iranian-backed militia is again sparking fears of a regional conflict. So two U.S. military officials tell NBC News they believe that Houthi rebels in Yemen fired a ballistic missile at Israel. Israel shot it down. So the United States is already in a low-level conflict with these Iranian-backed militias. The question is how big it will get. Lester. All right, Richard Engel, thank you. And here at home, the head of the FBI issued a strong new warning today about an increased terrorist threat in this country from potential attackers who might be inspired by Hamas. Garrett Hake has that story. Please stand in. On Capitol Hill tonight, a stark warning about the growing threat at home from the devastating war abroad. The ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of an attack against Americans in the United States to a whole nother level. FBI Director Chris Wray signaling the U.S. is in a dangerous period. We assess that the actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration, the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS. As Jewish college students are facing threats on U.S. campuses, Cornell University officials today confirming the arrest of a suspect in connection with online threats of a mass shooting and other violence there. To see, you know, my own campus targeting specifically one of our West, this building, the building that I live in, sleep in, it was just unbelievable. A Las Vegas man also charged with threatening to kill Nevada Senator Jackie Rose, who is Jewish, after leaving a series of anti-Semitic, profanity-laced voicemails. 3,500 kids dead! Also on the Hill, anti-war protesters interrupting a hearing as the secretaries of state and defense were pushing the White House plan to spend $105 billion in emergency support for Israel, Ukraine, and other national security threats. That funding dividing House and Senate Republicans. New Speaker Mike Johnson setting a vote this week on aid to Israel alone, with $14 billion in military and humanitarian assistance, while some GOP senators argue to include aid to Ukraine. To separate the package is, is naive, because the threats are in, have commonality.
Garrett, what more did the FBI director have to say about the threats here? Well, after he said that the Bureau is not tracking any imminent threat from a foreign terrorist group and that his biggest concern is violent extremists who may be inspired by the events taking place in the Middle East, Ray urged all Americans to continue to be vigilant. Lester? All right, Garrett, thank you. And the effort underway to get American and other foreign nationals out of Gaza is becoming more urgent by the day. But it's uncertain tonight when the vital Rafah border crossing from Gaza to Egypt will be open to more than just humanitarian aid trucks. Megan Fitzgerald is there. Tonight, our first-hand look at the Rafa border crossing, a lifeline for millions of people suffering and trapped inside Gaza. In the last 10 days, more than 200 aid trucks have passed through here, 66 just today. But the UN says it's not nearly enough. The situation in Gaza has become absolutely inhumane. A UNICEF employee sending this voice message to NBC News from inside Gaza, saying the crisis is taking a personal toll on her own daughters. I have the youngest, she's four years old, and she's showing severe symptoms of stress and fear. And resorts to self-harm, like ripping her hair off and scratching her thighs until they bleed. UNICEF warning, a lack of clean water is putting lives of Gaza's one million children at risk of dehydration. The plan was for the Rafa border crossing to alleviate this crisis. The Rafa border is supposed to be a two-way crossing with these trucks packed with aid making their way in. Americans and foreign nationals that are trapped just beyond this border making their way out. That hasn't happened yet. Egypt is not accepting Palestinian refugees and foreign nationals say they have not been allowed out. Nearly a thousand Americans are trapped inside Gaza and the U.S. says Hamas is blocking that. Uh, it's simple. It's a mess. We pressed Egypt's head of state information. Who's holding up the American from crossing over the border? It's, it's Hamas. America says Hamas is holding up the American. Meanwhile, Americans like Kasim Ali are running out of patience. You don't see any care for us from the American government. I don't know why. Americans caught in the crossfire, desperate to escape. Megan Fitzgerald, NBC News, Rafa border crossing, Egypt. Tonight we are learning much more about concerns raised by family and even members of the military long before an army reservist killed 18 people in Maine. Emily Akenna reports now from Lewiston, Maine. Tonight, new details on apparent warning signs about the suspects months before the mass shooting. According to records from the county sheriff, Robert Carr's son and ex-wife contacted them on May 3rd saying they were concerned about his access to firearms because he was hearing voices or starting to experience paranoia. A deputy reached out to Card's Army Reserve Unit, who said they would figure out options to get Robert help. In July, he spent two weeks in a psychiatric facility. Then in September, the Army Reserve asked for a wellness check on Card after he threatened to shoot up their facility. A sergeant was so concerned, he said he thought Card could snap and commit a mass shooting. A sheriff's deputy went to Card's home twice, but was unable to make contact. A statewide attempt to locate alert was issued. That statewide alert was lifted one week before 18 people were killed. They attempted to do two wellness checks, but never actually connected with him. Should there have been more? Of course, follow up until it's done. He wanted to kill somebody. Among the victims, Jim Labowitz's son-in-law, Josh Seal. This weekend, I was blowing the leaves uh, on my yard, and... Many times I just stop the breakdown because 
This could have been prevented. The Army says they determined Card should not have a weapon or handle ammunition. While records from the Sheriff's Office show Card's family said they would work to secure his personal guns. At least three guns have been recovered as part of the investigation, all obtained by Card legally. Maine's governor called for action on Monday, but wouldn't say whether law enforcement's response was adequate. We want to get the, the best answer to how can we prevent something like this from happening. That <laughs> trick-or-treating tonight be aware we could be in for one of the coldest halloweens on record 77 million are under frost and freeze alerts from texas to new york some cities like chicago seeing their first snow of the season and south of minneapolis multiple crashes reported in slippery conditions in maui police have released harrowing previously unseen body cam video showing the response to the lahaina wildfire that killed some 100 people Miguel Almaguer has the footage. We have to warn you, some of it may be difficult to watch. The heart pounding video captures the scramble to escape the flames and the race to save lives. As wildfires tore through Lahaina, Maui police rescued 15 people trapped inside a coffee shop on famed Front Street. While thick smoke choked the air and the inferno closed in. The harrowing scene unfolding August 8th. This our first perspective from police who selected the 16 minutes of video from 20 hours of footage. To say that the Maui Police Department did not do the due diligence to save lives is false. First facing flames at 6 in the morning. There's a fire. Is there anyone else here? Police scrambled to break open locked gates on dirt roads to create escape routes and rushed to evacuate residents. This is not important. We're trying to get everybody out of the As the blaze erupted through the night, one officer loads a burn victim into his car, realizing he's badly in need of help. With 99 believed dead and 2,000 structures destroyed, these 16 minutes of hell are for many a lifetime of pain. Authorities in Maui still have not named a cause for the fire as down power lines remain a focus of the investigation. Lester. Miguel, thank you. And a dramatic scene today in a remote part of the Florida Everglades where a small plane crashed in the middle of the night. More than seven hours later, rescuers arrived and hoisted the pilot onto a helicopter he was taken to a hospital with a leg injury. The cause of the crash is being investigated. In 60 seconds, a seat at the table. We speak to families in one city about why what's happening in the Middle East is striking such a painful chord with so many American families. It is a place here in America both Jews and Palestinians call home, the twin cities of Minnesota, where they are following all this in this war intensely. Gabe Gutierrez spent the day getting their views on the conflict. More than 6,000 miles from Israel, the war is home. So my initial response was fear and sadness and anger. A seat at the table, both Jewish. Just living my life there, like a horror story. Palestinian, we are Semitic people. Palestinian. 
Jeff Burstein's grandfather opened his family's first Jewish restaurant in the 1930s. He now checks the latest news from Israel hourly and was horrified when he first learned of Hamas's terrorist attack on October 7. Were you surprised? No. Why not? Because they've been telling for years that they want to destroy not only Israel, but Jews. And people that speak that way, you have to believe what they tell you. Over lunch, we listened in as three Jewish Americans opened up about their hanging over the war. Thanks to having a traveling friend here on a daily basis and across the world. And it's terrifying and infuriating. I feel like. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. The people of Alabama have a lot of character. There's no denying that. They show the world that no matter what the white media may have us believe, even in 2023, there's still plenty of black folks who have the spirit of 2020 and are not about to let these white supremacists run wild. The problem is that the administrative apparatuses of Alabama, like the rest of the U.S., are run by anti-black racists in their bootleg service who use their public offices to fully support these anti-black racists and the violence that they perpetrate. Everyone knows about the white supremacists who savagely attacked a black dock worker like a pack of wild animals. And the black citizens of Alabama, the law-abiding contingent of that state, they stomped those scumbags out and gave some of them a much-needed bath. Of course, being Alabama, one of the most backward and racist states in America, and one of the most backward and racist places on earth, you already knew the fix was going to be in for the jump, because you already have a slimy, racist DA down there, who not only gave these bigots a slap on the wrist for their violence with mere misdemeanors, but he also doubled down on his open support for anti-black violence by bringing charges against the very black citizens who stopped the white mob violence. They actually had the nerve to put trumped-up charges against Reggie Ray, the chairman of Alabama, a man who showed the world that when the white supremacists lose their manners, the best thing to do is to offer them a seat, right on top of their heads. Now, the DA clearly identifies with and supports the racist white mob, and he wanted to make a show of his contempt for the black community. This was a hate crime, full stop, carried out by that gang of wild inbreds. It was a slew of felonies that they committed. But these white supremacists want to show the world that when they take an L publicly like that, when black citizens humiliate them, well, they're just going to bend over backwards and try to show everyone that they can give the middle finger, if nothing else. This week, two of the hate criminals involved in that race attack Richard Roberts and Mary Todd both pleaded guilty, but since they were only given misdemeanors, their plea doesn't mean anything. Roberts will only have to serve a paltry 32 days of a four-month suspended sentence, and even then he only has to serve it on the weekend, so basically his punishment is to give up a couple of weekends a month. The white woman, Mary Todd, was given less than that. She only has to attend some anger management classes. I'm not joking. That's the sentence that the judge saw fit to give her. This for a violent hate criminal. Now, Jesse Smollett was turned into a white media hobby horse when no crime had been committed at all. And the city of Chicago had been over backwards trying to make some sort of half-brained example out of him, wasting millions of taxpayer dollars and for what? Because the racists in the Chicago PD took a big L when Jason Van Dyke was convicted of murdering Laquan McDonald. So this was them trying to even the score. This is why it's important for us to monitor these cases and keep tabs on what happens after the cameras go away. This is why I make my Friday crime reports, 
so you can see example after example of how offenders with the right skin color get serious charges reduced simply as a matter of course. Or in the case of the Riverside racists, they just get penny any meaningless charges for the jump. And on a side note, remember when the white judge Aaron Persky got recalled in California because he infamously refused to punish the rapist Brock Turner? The white media went into phony theatrics and told lies, claiming that after that recall, judges across America would be scared and intimidated into giving defendants harsh sentences because they'd be terrified of being recalled and that this would cause the most problems for black defendants. Well, it's been years since the white media pushed that hysteria, and I'm still waiting to see when the judges are finally going to start being too scared to give low sentences, because so far they've continued to give people with genetic immunity from the law slaps on the wrist no matter what the public thinks. This race attack made international headlines. If any case should have made the prosecutors and judges scared of being called soft on crime, it's this one. But the usual Republicans and conservatives who throw that phrase around have been nowhere to be seen in this fiasco. Because everyone knows that when they say soft on crime, what they actually mean is so-and-so isn't targeting black people. Where's the soft on crime crowd now? They're in hiding, waiting until they can find a black person to demonize. Now, there's something else that also needs to be mentioned. The judge in this case is as guilty as the prosecutor. And if you want to know who the judge is, it's a woman named Samari Munderland Dunson. The name alone makes me think she might be an immigrant, her husband certainly looks like one. And to make matters worse, this skank has a sister who is also a judge in that county too. So stupid runs in the family. That's what's going on down there. This is an allegedly black judge who did this. So Tammy the Mammy in Dallas ain't the only one we gotta be looking out for. And by the way, when you go to this judge's Facebook page, you see that this woman is a complete and thorough degenerate narcissist. All of her pictures are basically about herself, just tons and tons of pictures of herself. This woman worships herself. This woman here thinks that she's the center of the known universe. And of course, because that train is never late, she of course is a member of one of those stupid little sororities, Delta sick of those thetas, who gives a whip? This is who this woman is actually dedicated to. This is the problem with these Greek sororities, these black Greeks and these black sororities. This is what they do. As far as they're concerned, they're on the inside track. But of course, that means that they got to show their complete and thorough loyalty to the very white system that they're depending on. And that's the reason why they love to give slaps on the wrist of these racists. They see themselves as being honorary members of the oppressor class. And honoring up black people as human sacrifices is how they show their loyalty. This woman is clearly a social climber, looking at politics as being her ticket to rich white donors and a cushy existence at taxpayer expense. And this piece of filth isn't the only non-white official down there using their office to carry water for white power. You'll recall the mayor of Montgomery, Stephen Reed, was caught on audio recording saying that he didn't need black votes. All he needed were white donors and a few white voters, and he would be able to gain public office and hold on to it, that without getting massive black support. This guy has nothing but contempt for the very black citizens who put him in office. This is what the white media would call black leaders in Alabama. Sock puppets for white power like Stephen Reed and this Samari Munderland Dunson woman. These are meat puppets for white power, bought and paid for by the very racists who the black voters put them in office to fight. The black residents of Alabama deserve better, but that will require black people to make it a point to inflict consequences for supporting white supremacy and attacking the black community. The first step is to take control of the politics in the areas we live. 
And that process starts by people finding out who it is who's giving these racists a pass and then organize the public to punish them. We need to make it a crusade to go against these anti-black racists, whoever they are and wherever they are. Most people sit back waiting to see if somebody else is gonna step forward and lead the charge to justice. Well, it's time for black people to stop sitting back and start stepping forward. But you can't organize without having groups dedicated to the idea of justice. When it comes to holding these sellouts, traitors, and turncoats in public office to account, we require new social institutions to do it with. Currently, about the only thing the black community has are these churches and a few so-called community activists. The black clergy is who gave us turncoats like Michael Eric Dyson, Al Sharpton, and Messy Jesse Jackson. And the community activists are the ones who gave us Barack Obama and D. Ray McKesson. So both of those groups are dirty as the day is long. They've been auxiliaries of white power for the longest time. They were compromised a long time ago. They are both in the business of gathering black people together and then influencing those black people to act against their own interests. And because the black community is used to these bootlegs being the ones who gather black folks together, when something like this miscarriage of justice goes down and the bootlegs don't call a meeting or what have you, the black folks will just shrug and disperse and the enemy doesn't have to fear being held to account. This is how white power deranges the internal politics of the black community. They've got their little operatives like these pork chop preachers using their position and the fact that these churches are usually the primary gathering place for black people, and they do this as a way of leveraging goodies from these white political figures. We excoriate these racist police and prosecutors and judges but it's these black clergy and black activists who take pictures with them, cheese it up with them, hang out with them. They're proud to be associated with the very scumbags we fight against every day. When it comes time for an election, they turn their churches into a nexus of support for the people who use their public offices to attack us and to support these race mobs. So we need new social institutions, ones that we control to fix this problem. These crooked black pastors and these do-nothing community activists are part of the problem. And by institution, I don't mean some multi-million dollar group with a 10-story headquarters. Institutions are the guardians of ideas and ideals. Justice is an ideal, but nobody's trying to guard it. It doesn't have to be this way. We can change it. The people of Alabama have already shown they have steel in their spines. What's called for now is to show that they have the fire in the belly, too to drive the Samari Dunsons and the racist DA Daryl Bailey as well as the Stephen Reeds and others from office. The corrupt racist DA needs to have his law license stripped from him. That dirty judge needs to be sent packing along with her sister, and there need to be people of integrity and honor in those positions. There has to be punishment for aiding and abetting hate crimes. We have to start imposing consequences on these corrupt DAs, these crooked judges, and these cowardly politicians who don't say anything about this. Individuals who use their position to keep the law from touching these white supremacist thugs. At some point, we have to go on offensive. Leave the racists nowhere to hide and no one to hide behind. Racist thugs like the ones on the riverfront have to be punished. But so do these racists who use public office to protect them. That means we have to overrun their positions. When that becomes our focus, we'll be fighting these racists in the political offices, just like the black folks did on that riverfront. Only this time, we won't be offering them any seats. Instead, we'll be taking them away. Good day, and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Kenneth Forbes, Sherman Marshall, Mike Hughes, Gina Jones, and Stephen Twelve. 
Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you.